0: Sometimes, I wonder where I'd be without you. Would I understand life? Would I make right choices? Would I live out my faith? Thank you for showing me what it means to love God and for giving me your all, even when it was difficult. Thank you for the discipline I deserved and the grace I didn't, and for being present, even though you had so much on your plate. Thank you for picking me up and encouraging me to try again. And for the little life lessons I still lean on today. The truth is, I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for you. As I look back on my life, I see moment after moment where your influence, your wisdom, and your strength made all the difference. Thank you for loving me Today, I give thanks. Today, I am grateful. Today, I celebrate you. I love you, Dad.
1: Well, happy Father's Day, dads. This day is for you. Uh, I read of a little boy who said that Father's Day is just like Mother's Day, except you don't spend as much money on the gifts. Okay, I think there might be some truth to that. Now, before we dive in, I want to say this, that we're having some summer baptisms coming up in several weeks, and baptism is the tombstone to the old life and the birth certificate to the new life. Uh, it's, it represents what Jesus did for us, and Jesus himself was baptized. He, was, he, he died and went into the grave, but was raised in new life on Resurrection Sunday. And so we want to encourage you, if you've never been baptized Uh, to consider that, proclaiming that Christ is yours for life, that you're going to follow him for all of your days. And so you can email us at privatechurchfresno at gmail.com or talk to any of our staff in our in-person services or via social media. When Sarah and I were dating and in the early days of our marriage, we went to the movies a lot and we didn't realize it back then, but we had all the time in the world. And in 2008, I remember watching this particular movie with Sarah in the theater, Taken, starring Liam Neeson. And it is about a father going to extreme lengths to get his daughter back. Now, in 2008, I wasn't yet a parent. Dex wouldn't show up for another five years, and Ivy wouldn't show up for another nine years. But as I watched this movie, I truly believed that if anything were to ever happen to my future kids, I would be able to do all the things that Liam Neeson did in this film. I don't have money, but what I have is a particular set of skills. Skills that I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. Yes. Yes, Dad. Yes, that's me someday. Yes, Dad, you're amazing. Now, there's a protectiveness that dads have inside of them. I know what I'm going to do. The very first time a boy tries to take my daughter out on a date. Now, she's four now, so this is going to be a long, long time away. And she may never date. She may be a nun. And so, but if there a boy ever tries to take my daughter out, um, I already know what I'm going to do and what I'm going to say. I will invite them into my study and the lights will be off except for on one chair. And they will then sit on the chair and I will say, no, I, I didn't tell you to sit. You will stand and then he will stand. Then he'll move around nervously and I'll say something like this. If you touch my daughter, no, no. If you think of my daughter, I will grab you by the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ and beat you beyond recognition. You will go home and your parents will say, son, are you okay? And and you will say, no, I was beaten beyond recognition. And they will say, why? And you will have to say, because I thought of Mr. Richardson's daughter. I'll say something like that. There's a protectiveness that we have for our children. We learn a lot about God from our relationships uh, between a father and a child. And nothing has taught me more about God and his love for me than being a dad to Dex and Ivy. And so today on Father's Day 2021, I'd like to share some of these connections. And the first is provision and protection. Uh, these are something that fathers give to their children, and it's innate. It's it's within them. They were they were made with this kind of uh, protective posture towards their family and this provisional care for their children. In Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, "Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet." your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And why do you worry about clothes? Now, real quick, when people in the first century were worried about clothes, it wasn't because they went into their closet and they're like, I've got nothing to wear. No, it was because they literally didn't have anything to wear. So Jesus says, see how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, he will, not, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, your heavenly Father knows what you need. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Some of us are worried, some of us have anxiety, Let me me rephrase that, I'm sorry. You are worried about some things. You have anxiety about some things. And Jesus speaks directly to you in regards to your worries. And Jesus here, in the Sermon on the Mount, speaks to you directly about your anxieties. And when he does this, he uses the father-child metaphor. He says, your dad knows you need these things. Your dad knows that you're worried. Your dad knows that you're stressed. Your dad knows that you have anxieties and that fear is crippling. But look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. They do nothing and I provide for them. They have no power and I protect them. You're my son, you're my daughter, I've got you. How much more will I protect you? How much more will I provide for you? When Jesus wants to speak to our worries, to our stresses, to our anxieties, to our fears, he uses the father, child, Metaphor. Now, my son is almost eight years old, and in the summer of 2019, we went to Wild Water Adventure Park all the time. Lots of times. He loved every moment. I'll never forget that first water slide. He goes down, and then he comes up out of the water, and he's smiling ear to ear. I'll just never forget that face, and that face happens every time we go to this water park. And that summer, Dex was 46 inches tall. And to go on all the rides at this park, you had to be 48 inches tall. But on the last day the park was open, I snuck him on all the rides, even the ones where he was a little too short for. Now, Sarah wasn't there, and so that's why this was allowed. But he loved it, and he couldn't wait till the next summer when he could go on every ride. That next summer happened to be the summer of 2020. And the water park didn't look like it was going to open when COVID hit. Wildwater kept pushing back their start date. Okay, it's going to be June 8th. It's going to be June 15th. It's going to be July 1st. And finally, it became apparent in July that Wildwater Adventure Park was not going to be open last summer. And I remember where we were and where I was sitting when I broke the news to my then six-year-old son. He's sitting in the back of the truck and we're stopped at a stoplight and, I, and he says, dad, when's wild water gonna open? And I said, son, because of the sickness, it doesn't look like wild water is going to open this summer. And then immediate tears, like, like it must've been raining on his face or there was a leak in my roof or something because the tears just went immediate out of his eyes. And he looks up to the sky and he says, dear God, why did that man have to eat that bat? And so of course, I'm holding back laughter um, because in the midst of this global pandemic where millions of people have lost a lot more than a, a water park, my son is worried about water slides. Uh, my son is worried. But as his dad, it also broke my heart. And so as we got to closer to the summer of this year, I was checking Wild Water's opening date all the time. I changed my homepage on my computer to become Wild Water's homepage. So whenever I opened up my my computer, I would check and see if the reservation system was open, when they were going to be open, when all the security features and the COVID protocols were there. So we knew everything. Uh, And when the park finally did open last Saturday, we were one of the first in line and we had the time of our lives. See, even though in the grand scheme of things, a water park is not a big deal, it became a big deal for me because I was Dexter's dad. My son was thinking about it every day, and so therefore, I was thinking about it every day. Why? Because I love my son, because I desire his happiness, I desire his joy, I desire his life to be filled with laughter and love, and so it is with God. Our Father provides for the birds of the air, how much more does he love you? Our Father dresses the flowers of the fields. How much more will he clothe you? God changes his homepage for you. He's thinking of you. He desires good things for you. Now, the second thing that I've seen in fathers is gentleness, which of course is a fruit of the spirit mentioned in Galatians five, chapter verses twenty-two through twenty-three. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, this Greek word for gentleness is proatise, and it's meekness or gentleness, but it's not weakness, power that is restrained. There's a soothing quality to gentleness that actually dissipates anger, it calms it. It responds to the sharp edges of individuals with a kind and powerful calm. That is gentleness, and that is the fruit of the Spirit. The famous Greek philosopher Aristotle said this, "Uh, praoutes is the ability to bear reproaches and slights with moderation and not to embark on revenge and not to be easily provoked to anger, but to be free from bitterness and contentiousness. Gentleness is not passivity. You are not gentle just because you're not mean. Nope, that's not enough. Your gentleness goes in how you interact with people. So the person sitting off in the corner, not doing anything, or the person who is ignoring other people, yeah, you're not being mean, you're just kind of being in your own space, but you do not qualify as gentle Until you interact with others in a way that says, I want to serve you. I want to offer my strength and my life in a way that helps you become better. You are gentle in how you interact, not in withdrawing from interaction. Gentleness or meekness is not weakness. It's strength that serves. It is power under control. And this is father's. It's also dog's. This is a photo of a St. Bernard. When I think of St. Bernard's, there's something beautiful about them. They're strong. But the way that these humongous dogs interact with people says that my strength is on your side. It's not that he's weak, that he couldn't hurt a fly. No, no, he could hurt lots of things. But St. Bernard's are innately good towards people. Um... Back in the 1980s, they tried to make a St. Bernard uh, um, vicious in a horror movie written by Stephen King. The movie was called Cujo. But it was ridiculous because St. Bernard's aren't that way. Gentleness goes beyond saying, well, he's calm. Gentleness says that this is a breed of dog that is designed for rescue. They have a strong lineage of being rescue dogs. And that's actually, actually where they got their name. They were known to rescue hundreds of people stranded and covered by avalanches in the Swiss Alps. And there's this internal wiring within the dogs. The monks who started using them in the 1700s at the St. Bernard Pass, where the monastery is, the St. Bernard Monastery, they did not have to train the dogs. They just allowed the puppies to grow up with the adults and to learn what it means to care about people. They could sniff someone down 20 feet below the snow. They would dig them up and then lie on them to keep them warm. And that was something that they weren't trained to do, that they just did naturally. Gentleness doesn't say, I'm not, just, I'm not a vicious person. Gentleness says, how can I use my strength to help? Fathers, use your strength to help, to bless, to serve, to save, to warm. In essence, gentleness is, I'm strong enough to serve you. And isn't this an appropriate image for fathers? I've seen this in my dad as well, uses his strength to serve. I've seen this quality grow in him over the years in the way that he loves my mom, the way that he loves his kids, and the way that he loves his grandkids. My wife's dad is also a great example of this. I have two great examples of gentleness and fatherhood that I too can show to Dex and Ivy as I get older. This should be our attitude but not just in our family relationships, but in every relationship, right? We sh- just because you're not a dad doesn't mean you get a free pass on gentleness. No, it's a fruit of the spirit. If God lives in us, it should come out of us. So with that annoying aunt who always wants the latest gossip, the scoop on who's cheating on who, we show gentleness. When our children need discipline, can we use our strength to help them? When our spouse makes a comment, that you've got a great comeback for, could we respond with kindness and gentleness? Kindness and gentleness, they're like peanut butter on sandwiches. The more that you lather them on there, the better things stick together. So just just lather that peanut butter on there. It's gonna help your family. It's gonna help your relationships. And finally, we say this a lot here at Prodigal Church, Following Jesus is caught, not taught. Following Jesus is caught, not taught. And I want us to go back to kindergarten here for this, to play a little game. So this is kind of like a Simon Says, but I'm not Simon. But everyone here, as you're watching, just do as I say, okay? Everyone put a finger in the air. If you're listening online, put a finger in the air like you are given the number one. Uh, If you're watching on a TV screen, go ahead and do it. Feel free. No one's around. And if people are, they think that you think that they're number one, and that's great, okay? Now wiggle around like you're saying no, okay? Great. Now give it a little bit of spirit fingers, okay? And now I want you to take... Take your hand, take your fist, make it a fist, and put it right on your cheek. Okay, right on your cheek. Okay, did many of you put it on your chin like I did? I said cheek. See, it is much easier to, to follow an example that you see than to do what you hear. Now, if you're listening to this via podcast and you're not actually watching, you probably did it correctly. But that just proves the point all the more. We follow examples that we see um, better than we follow when we hear. The same is true with fatherhood. The scriptures give us numerous examples of children following the negative examples of their father. Look at First Kings And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. Jeremiah 9, they have walked after their imagination of their own heart and after Balaam, which their fathers taught them. I'm telling you, dads, if you blow it, if you act in ways that aren't Christ-like, you will pass this on to your children. The character qualities that we reproduce in our kids are usually the ones that they see in us. So you, you can teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. Write it down. You can teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. You produce them physically, right? They're a reason that my kids look at least a little bit like me. Luckily, they got their looks from Sarah when when Ivy was a baby. She probably had a little bit more of me than maybe I would have wanted. But my kids resemble me because they have my DNA. But you don't just reproduce physically. You reproduce spiritually. You reproduce with integrity. You reproduce your characters, your qualities. Our kids know who we really are. It's been said that you can fool a fool, but you can't kid a kid. They know what we are. They know who we are. And it carries on beyond just this immediate generation. What your children see in you will be passed on to their children and their children's children. I have two kids and uh, we're not going to be having any more, I don't think. But if, if my two kids have three children each then I will have had six grandchildren. And if those six grandchildren each have three kids, I will have 18 great-grandchildren. And if those 18 great-grandchildren have three kids, I would have 54 great-great-grandchildren. And if you combine all of these together, I will have had 80 descendants just in my lifetime, potentially. Do the math yourself. So if you model Christ-likeness in your marriage and in your parenting, you are impacting more lives than you know. You're impacting the lives of your children, their friends, their family, their children, their children's children. We make the biggest impact for Jesus by living for Jesus. One man said of his father, Once, I was a teenager, and my father and I were standing in line to get tickets for the circus. Finally, there was only one family between them and the ticket booth. And the family ahead of them, they made a big impression on this young man. There were eight children, all of them under the age of 12, and you could tell that they didn't have a lot of money. Their clothes were not expensive, but they were clean. The children were well-behaved, all of them standing in line, two by two, behind their parents, holding hands. And they were excitedly jabbering about the clowns, the elephants, and the other acts that they were going to get to see at the greatest show on earth. And you could sense that they'd never been to the circus. And there was this anticipation just among that family. It promised to be the highlight of their young lives. The father and mother uh, were at the head of the pack. Uh, She was holding his hand looking up to him as as if to say, you're my knight in shining armor. And he was smiling back at his pride and joy, his children and his wife. The ticket lady asked how many tickets the father would like. And he proudly said, let me buy eight children's tickets and two adult tickets so I can take my family to the circus. The ticket lady quoted the price and the man's wife let go of his hand immediately. The man's lip began to quiver. How much did you say it was? The ticket lady again quoted the price. The man didn't have enough money. How was he supposed to turn and tell his eight children that they were not going to be able to go to the greatest show on earth? They were not going to get to go see the circus. And seeing what was going on, the the dad who was standing behind them pulled out a $20 bill from his wallet, dropped it on the floor. And they were by no means wealthy at all. But the thought that dad picked that $20 bill up tapped that man on the shoulder and said, excuse me, sir, I believe this fell out of your pocket. The man knew what was going on. He wasn't asking for a handout, but he certainly appreciated the help in a desperate, heartbreaking, and embarrassing situation. So he looked right into the dad's face, the man behind him, and he took his dad's hand, squeezed it, and he said, thank you. This really means a lot to me and my family. Now, the grown child, many years later, witnessing his father do this, he writes, my father and I went back to our car and drove home. We didn't go to the circus that night, but we didn't go without. Greater than any memory of any lions jumping through rings of fire or any elephant standing up on two feet or some man being shot out of a cannon, greater than any of those memories, was what this boy saw his father do for the family of 10 standing in front of them. He remembered that the rest of his life. One of the greatest descriptions of dads uh, comes from Irma Bombeck. She writes a portrait of a little girl who loved her dad but wasn't sure what dads do. And I'll close with this. One morning, my father didn't get up and go to work. He went to the hospital and died the next day. I hadn't thought much about him before. He was just someone who left and came home and seemed glad to see everyone at night. He opened the jar of pickles when no one else could. He was the only one in the house who wasn't afraid to go into the basement by himself. He cut himself shaving, but no one kissed it or got excited about it. It was understood that when it rained, he got the car and brought it around to the door. When anyone was sick, he went out to get the prescriptions filled. He took lots of pictures, But he was never in them. Whenever I played house, the other doll had a lot to do. I never knew what to do with the daddy doll, so I had him say, I'm going to go off to work now, and I threw him under the bed. The funeral was in our living room, and a lot of people came and brought all kinds of good food and cakes. We had never had so much company before. I went to my room and felt under the bed for that daddy doll, and when I found him, I dusted him off and put him on my bed. He never did anything, I didn't know his leaving would hurt so much. I don't know what your family situation is, what your relationship like, what was like with your father, or what your relationship like is currently with your father. But I know that we have a great father who loves us, who made us, who knit us together in our mother's womb, and has great plans for you, plans to give you a hope future, to grow your dreams, to make an impact for God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So no matter where you are in your earthly relationship with your father, know that you have a God who clothes the lilies with splendor and longs to clothe you, who provides miraculously for the birds of the air who do nothing how much more will he provide for you? And if you are a father, if you are a follower of Jesus, following him is caught, not taught. So it's not about what you say, it's about what you do. God, I pray a blessing over all the dads and all the men in our lives, that they would be the men you've called them to be, that they would be Christ-like, that they would be men of protection, of provision, of gentleness in men who follow you. God, we do pray that for all of us, that we all would exhibit these kinds of traits. We love you, Jesus, in your name, amen. We wanna thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week, we begin a brand new sermon series called Half Truths. And so we're gonna be looking at questions like, God helps those who help themselves or everything happens for a reason, or God can't will never give you more than you can handle. And so none of those things are mentioned in the Bible. So let's talk about them together as we explore these half-truths. We look forward to seeing you soon. Grace and peace.